You are listening to Revcast, a place that discusses true crime, stories of horror, the bizarre, whilst being sprinkled with a dose of dark comedy. I am your host, Rev, and before I introduce my guest, you can follow me on Twitter, Rev at RevCastOfficial. Also, links to my anchor and YouTube channel are available on the profile. If you also have a story that you would like to submit for future content, tales of the supernatural, horror, survival, or bizarre phenomenon, they can be submitted to podcastrev1 at gmail.com. Audio recordings, videos, or writing will be reviewed before adding to future episodes. You can either use a surname or remain completely anonymous. My guest today is someone who has a background in music and also, oddly enough, someone who has also have a background in ghost hunting. Welcome to the show today, Sam. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, man. How about you? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. I've had a uh, two cups of Death Wish coffee. Uh, this is not a paid promotion, by the way, but I can almost taste colors. <laughs> yeah, that stuff's pretty hardcore, man. Just it like is. my Irish breakfast tea in the morning. Some it's hardcore actually, shit. It's delicious, though. I really enjoy it. It's a good coffee. Especially <laughs> if I want to go run errands without my car. <laughs> All <laughs> oh, right, off to a good start. Oh, definitely, <laughs> definitely. So if I happen to fumble over my own words, we can blame it on the coffee. Well, yeah, blame everything on the coffee. Well, at least it's not alcohol or drugs. Well, you know, <laughs> we're not rock stars now, right? <laughs> not yet, not yet. We're we're going to be after this one, this episode. So, oh, all right, and I just wanted to say that today's topics we are going to be discussing Satanism. What it is and what it isn't. Uh, the satanic panic of the 80s and the 90s. who spooky. We're also going to be talking about Diabolus and Musica. Or the devil and music. So don't worry. Everything will make sense and tie together. So let's get the show going. Now if anybody wants to know what Satanism is. There is the difference between atheistic Satanism and esoteric Satanism. What you see a lot of going on today is more of the modern idea of what Satanism is. It's atheistic Satanism. When you say Satanism, people would probably think of like the Satanic Temple or the Church of Satan. Anton LaVey, he was actually the one who put together the Church of Satan, and it happens to be in 1966, so there's a deep meaning behind that one. But I'm not going to go into too much detail about Anton LaVey. A lot of people have covered a lot of his subject matter, his history, his background. But I will say that uh, when it does come to the Church of Satan and the Satanic Temple, they don't believe in an actual deity. And there's a lot of things that people get misconstrued when you say that you are a Satanist or that you believe in Satan, that you believe in this demonic devil with horns that's going to come out from the underground and basically try to start a war with man. And, uh, that's not entirely true. That's not true at all, in fact. Satanism is the idea of basically of self, being aware that you are carnal, being aware that you are human, and they do actually have rules and tenets. What they don't believe is that a deity is going to come down and actually cause trouble and be, I guess you could say, the perpetrator. If you look at the literal translation of the word, the word Satan or the Satan means the adversary. And what better way to be well representative by the embodiment of a, a, somebody that supports the idea of rebellion, especially in a lot of oppressive societies. <laughs> so 
Did you want to elaborate a little bit there, Sam? You got anything to add? So when was uh, Satanism uh, founded? Do you know? Satanism necessarily, I believe that it was more or less a modern concept in the 19th and 20th century. Um, influencers such as Nietzsche is something that basically uh, Anton LaVey, he followed. Um, he liked a lot of his nihilistic works, and he also was a, a big fan of Ayn Rand, which is interesting. I mean, a lot of people were. <laughs> But if you want to go back to the time, I do believe that Aleister Crowley was more or less the influence between modern day Satanism or the idea of Satanism. But if you want to go back to, I guess you say the Salem witch trials, there were a lot of people that were accused of Satanism because they believed that they made a deal with the devil and were practicing witchcraft. So that's where you get the Salem witch trials from. Very interesting. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy to think how just superstitious people were back in the day. Well, people are superstitious yeah. now. Well, yeah, true. But, you know, with the violence that they were able to set upon people and their closed mindedness, you know, as being, you know, having any kind of paranormal or uh, more than <laughs> more than the average event. I think they would take it way out of contents, context. Like nowadays, we see a ghost and just kind of whatever we're going on with their day. Back then, they probably, you know, blew their whole entire worlds up. Burn the house down. Try to get rid of ghosts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I people burn their houses one. down trying to get rid of spiders. <laughs> yeah, there was a story tomorrow. of somebody. <laughs> somebody recently, I think it was past like 10 years or so, they had bought in a house from people and a couple of spiders came down and they were like, you know, what the hell? They were looking for the nest. Opened up a wall and there was just thousands and thousands of them. They oh, really? To, yeah, they were just pouring out of the wall. It was crazy. No, I couldn't deal yeah, with that. <laughs> feel of nightmares. Yeah, that's definitely nightmare feel. So if anybody's listening, I am arachnophobic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So oh, you couldn't tell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I mean, I'll learn about them. I'll study them. But as far as touching them or getting near the little bastards, mm-mm. nope. I know that movie, Arachnophobia, man, it was hard to it was hard to sit through that one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> that was definitely scary. Um, I do want to say that I actually did pull up the website for the Church of Satan and the Satanic Temple. And a lot of the philosophies and ideologies are something that I can get on board with. Um, not because, you know, I'm trying to be rebellious and I'm, I'm in my 40s, so I don't feel the need to be rebellious. <laughs> but a lot of the humanistic natures and the ideologies that they do follow, and for the mere fact that they kind of like going around society and, and trolling the shit out of the churches, it's kind of funny to me it's very interesting so what do you think uh richard ramirez identified himself as a satanist you know it, he, it's the same thing with that one character pazuzel the, the oh, pazuzu yeah. pazuzu pazuzu whatever i don't i don't i don't understand why he tried to take on the name of the little token from the exorcist it makes no sense <laughs> <to me. laughs> Oh, yeah. You know, unless he, you find out that he's actually Captain Howdy. 
<laughs> but um, I, I I personally think that the uh, Richard Ramirez, uh, Sam Berkowitz, and that Pazuzu guy, whatever the hell you want to call it, I think the reason why that they I, I, they adopted the idea of Satan or the devil is to add fear. You know, you got to kind of look at the fact that the satanic panic happened or the moral panic that actually happened uh, during the 80s and the 90s. So feeding on that that fear of thinking that there's true evil out there and he's got a, you know, a long tail and and horns out of his head. It, it, I guess you could say it's psychological warfare for the most part. But these are genuinely evil fucking people. Right, and he was definitely during the satanic panic. And also on top of that, like, I heard a theory that, you know, when you think about it, if you're sending people who have done really bad things to be punished, why would be why would the uh, punisher be super bad himself? You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, this is true. It's very interesting to see that, like, everybody blames everything on, like, the devil and Satan and everything like that. But if he rebelled against God and went down and, you know, had his own little kingdom and he punishes people who have done bad things, that wouldn't really necessarily make him bad himself. It's just kind of like saying the warden is as bad as the criminals that he's keeping in. You know what I mean? Well, that's pretty much it. I mean, if you've read the Bible, and I'm sure you have, we've discussed this, I know that I've read it, is that Mm -hmm. the only way that uh, Lucifer was showing, aside from the fact of his jealousy that you know, he put man above everybody else. That Lucifer was was a rebel. You know, he he seemed to actually somewhat feel sympathy, I guess, for humankind because the Old Testament God, he was a vengeful, wrathful, and a jealous God. Oh yeah. Now you would think <laughs> that a creator of mankind, basically, that puts them in a garden that aren't you know, they're naked and afraid for the most part. (laughs) Um, Why would he be jealous of such simple creatures? That's that's the thing that I find interesting. And the fact that you had the serpent that uh, talked to Eve or talked her into eating of the apple of knowledge, you know, you could kind of look at that and see is it a good deed? Because life would be better with knowledge than with complete and utter ignorance. You know. That's that's just my opinion. Well, makes sense, absolutely. But yeah, serial killers, you know, blaming it on the devil and blaming it on Satan and all that. It's just hilarious because it's always you know they're so influenced by these mythical creatures or whatever you would call them. Well, they're they, such influential people, like sheep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, you would think about it. Didn't Sam Berkowitz say that his dog was the de- or no, the neighbor's dog was the devil? That was telling him to go and kill people. Yeah. You always wonder if they're just trying to act like a fucking mental patient so they don't have to confess to their crimes, right? You know? Well, at the same time, I mean, they could plead insanity. It's a lot worse than actually going to a federal prison. I mean, prison is bad <laughs> for the most part. But if you get institutionalized, they could do whatever the fuck you want. You know? Yeah, I've never, yeah. never been in there before. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't ever want to go there. I mean, I'd have to do something really messed up to get there, but I don't want to go there. I don't even want to go to prison. I'm too pretty. 
Too motherfucking pretty. Too fucking pretty. So, yeah. um, as we briefly discussed, I, I know that, like I said, I'm not going to go into the history about Anton LaVey. Anton LaVey. I'm sorry. I don't want to butcher his name or insult the family or the Church of Satan. And um, the Satanic Temple. I mean, these are two completely uh, different type of operations. Um the Satanic Temple is more about constitutional rights, uh, human rights, everything like that. The Church of Satan is just kind of its own entity, does its own thing, and is pretty adamant about that um, if you claim to be a member, they'll find you. Not in a bad way. They'll just call you on your bullshit. So, <laughs> But I do want to say that there are different rules between the Church of Satan and the Satanic Temple. Now, to give the audience kind of an idea, these are the tenets and the rules that both of these organizations follow just to kind of represent themselves in more of a positive light and not a negative one that, you know, media happens to try to portray a lot of these Satanists. So coming from the... I'm, I apologize. Coming from the Church of Satan, there are the 11 Satanic rules of the earth. And this is by Anton LaVey. Number one, do not give opinions or advice unless you are asked. It's fairly reasonable because nobody wants your opinion. I, I don't want a lot of people's opinions, but they give it to me anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> Number two, do not tell your troubles to others unless you are sure they want to hear them. That's a fair one. I mean... I'm pretty sure nobody wants to hear you randomly come up and say, hey, you know what? I woke up this morning and uh, I had a hemorrhoid and it popped while I was taking a shit. You know, that's too much information. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, this, is a, this is a reasonable one, actually. This is something that I believe. Um, number three, when in, another, when in another's lair, show him respect or else do not go there. That's fair. It's pretty fucking basic. Yeah, exactly. You know, don't come to my house and shit on my carpet. And I won't come to your house and do the same. It's pretty much rules of respect. Um, let's see. Number four, if a guest in your lair annoys you, treat him cruelly and without mercy. It kind of goes with the whole, you're in my house, you know, show me respect, vice versa. Uh, number five. Do not make sexual advances unless you are given the mating signal. That's common sense. Pretty much get consent. There's nothing wrong about that. Number six. Do not take that which does not belong to you unless it is a burden to the other person and he cries out to be relieved. That's fair. I'm just thinking how uh, common sense these are. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. And then I... I mean, even in the Bible and stuff, it's not that plain Jane. You know what I mean? Like the Ten Commandments and stuff. It's no, and and, and that's the thing. That's the thing that I find interesting. I, I mean, these are basic common rules. You know, I mean, these are socially acceptable uh, social morality rules. I guess you could say. And then you look yeah, at the Bible. So it's like having um, just common 
common manners, you know what I mean? Like to treat your neighbor with as much respect as he would treat you so everybody can have a prosperous life. And, you know, you would think uh, being in Satanism and stuff that it would be quite the opposite of that. You know, you'd want to harm your neighbor. Steal yeah, exactly. Your neighbor, steal your neighbor's wife. Exactly. And the thing that I find interesting is that in the Bible, when you had God that basically were telling these to Moses, you know, on on the side of a fucking volcano. <laughs> I mean, I can go into details about that because if you think about it, um, high levels of carbon, especially in, I guess you could say a higher elevation, can cause one to hallucinate. So you could be talking to anybody. But the thing that I find very fascinating is that when you had Moses go up on the mountain and then come down with these Ten Commandments, he's commanded by God to go and slay a village. Makes no fucking sense. Yeah, it seems like the devil asked him to do it. But it was commandments from God. Here, write this down, but only apply it until after you go and kill a bunch of people. Sounds, exactly. Sound like a good idea. So who sounds who sounds like the evil one here? You know. <laughs> well, I mean, God did actually cause a world flood, killed a bunch of babies and women and children and other people, and then relied on eight people in a four hundred and fifty foot bucking boat with two point two million species of animals to repopulate the planet. <laughs> I could. Yeah, I could you're go, a fucking asshole. Yeah, this this could be another topic and can go off of for a long time. <laughs> so, continuing forward, I'm sorry. Uh, number seven. Acknowledge the power of magic if you have employed it successfully to obtain your desires. If you deny the power of magic after having called upon it with success, you will lose all that you have obtained. Well, I mean, that's pretty much anybody you know it doesn't matter how if you put it into a physical manifestation or a mental manifestation success comes with people that have drive it's oh yeah yeah so that could be applied to anything it's a it's a broad statement i can get i can get on board with that i don't know about you <laughs> most definitely um, number eight, do not complain about anything to which you need not subject yourself. Okay. So saving some mental, mental like energy, you know, worrying yeah. about what you're working on and nothing else. Sounds pretty damn helpful, useful. Yeah. No, it does. It does. Now, these next two. Okay. Now, this this is where I find interesting. And, and we're going to get into this after I read the, the tenets of the Satanic Temple. Um, but these are my favorite. So, you know, for a bunch of evil people that apparently that, you know, follow the idea of Satanism. Number nine, do not harm little children. That That's a given. Wow. Yeah. Th- no, that's not, that's not evil at all. I don't find anything evil about that, but if right. you and you, you think that like the regular Bible and like the Catholic Church itself or the 
you're, you're talking about a bunch of these people that um, fall on Abrahamic faith of the God, of God, Christian God. And it's funny because one of the tenets of the Satanic Church, or the, the Church of Satan, I'm sorry, I apologize for anybody that's listening, do not harm little children. And the ones that are going around and speaking ill of Satanists are the ones that worship a God that basically commanded people to go out and cut children out of the wombs of mothers that have known a man, dash their heads against rocks, which I think is kind of sick and disturbing. What's another one? Um, kill all of the infants so that basically one king can rule when it comes down to finding uh, Jesus. That was kind of messed up. Another one, uh, sending she-bears to attack children because they were making fun of a bald man. If there's anybody that's one of the biggest baby killers, I would have to say it's the God of the Bible. That's my personal opinion. So if there's any, if there's anybody that is religious and Christian that's listening to this, I don't apologize. I'm sorry. I've, I've taken my time to read the Bible, and there's a lot of things in it that I don't stand behind. So... Number 10, do not kill non-human animals unless you are attacked or for your food. So no cruelty to pets. That's Yeah, it's pretty uh it's a pretty nice thing to do, you know. Don't yeah. just go out and kill an animal for fun. Yeah. Don't 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 be a dick to animals. And the thing that I find very Which, interesting I had a lot of there's a couple chat Go ahead, sir. Uh, what I find very interesting is that Anton LaVey was a huge animal lover, too. So, I mean, you can't really call that guy evil if he says don't harm children or don't be a dick to animals. It's common sense. <laughs> and the last one for the Church of Satan. When walking in open territory, bother no one. If someone bothers you, ask him to stop. If he does not, destroy him. Pretty much falls in lines with self defense. Yeah. So I love that that line right there, man. Like, you know, give them a chance. If they don't take that chance, they're off the earth. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And they, and that's one of my favorites. And you know, I mean, these rules are something that I can get behind. I mean, I think anybody can generally get behind them. You know, you don't have to be a Satanist to be a decent human being in my personal opinion. But then again, you've got all these people that are afraid of a, a sky daddy. <laughs> so, and I do, I do actually respect the church of Satan because there is one cardinal sin that they are adamant about is they don't have any tolerance for stupidity. Don't be a fucking moron. Don't be an idiot. I mean, I feel that way about people in general. If you're going to be dumb, don't waste my fucking time. But that's just me. Yeah, in any kind of situation, uh, stupid people can really fuck things up. Workplace, out about, you know, especially on like, man, if you got somebody that's like a mechanic and they're stupid, you're going to get some fucked up shit. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> okay. So basically those 11 commandments, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they seem pretty uh, self-explanatory, man. They seem, you know, that's how you'd be a good person. Well, yeah. I mean, if you look at it, it's social morality. 
I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we have to assimilate. We have to adjust. You know, I mean, it's not hard to sit there and say, hey, you know what? I'm here living my life. I exist. Leave me the fuck alone. And I'll leave you alone. Hell Pretty simple yeah. tenets. Turns like a little by myself. Exactly. Exactly. So, moving over to the Satanic Temple. Now, the Church of Satan has 11 of the uh, the tenets that they live by. Fundamental tenets. I'm not going to go into any of the other stuff because I don't want to misrepresent them. Uh, the Satanic Temple, they have seven fundamental tenets, which are easy to follow. Uh, number one, one should strive to act with compassion and empathy toward all creatures in accordance with reason. Pretty much falls in line with the Church of Satan. Yep. Uh, number two, the struggle for justice is an ongoing and necessary pursuit that should prevail over law and institutions. Which is fair. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, the struggle for justice is always ongoing. And it's necessary. So if you, if you feel like that you might have been wronged or something like that, you know, just think it out, wait it out. I, I mean, I know that the Satanic Temple, they do a lot of constitutional work Basically, they fight against, or they fight for, I'm sorry, the separation of church and state. So any religious institution, which is another topic that I can go into, I'm trying to infiltrate the government and get laws passed. I guess you can say dominionism, Christian dominionism. It's actually a thing. Trying to institute laws that are more beneficial for people that happen to be of the Christian faith. I, I, yep. I find this is a good a deed of what they're doing. Yes, absolutely. It just seems kind of like they're going with the, the same kind of, you know, laws and stuff of the Church of Satan itself. Seems with the same kind of uh, morality there. Well, yeah, pretty much. I'm just going to kind of whip through the other ones because I know that we got we got to move forward with a lot of stuff. I don't want to spend too much time on Satanism, because we're going to be talking a lot about it. <laughs> Number three, one's body is inviolable, subject to one's own will alone. I'm just, I'm going to run with it. I mean, that's the best I can say that fucking word. So, Perfect. Number four, the freedoms of others should be respected, including the freedom to offend, to willfully and unjustly encroach upon the freedoms of another, is to forego one one's own. Okay, that makes sense. Mm. Number five, beliefs should conform to one's best scientific understanding of the world. One should take care never to distort scientific facts to fit one's belief. Well, yeah. I mean, we're in a pandemic. (laughs) And there's a lot of people that are denying vaccines because they don't believe in the science. But yet they use a tool of science to air their fucking ignorance. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, make it make sense. That's absolutely amazing. (laughs) I don't want to get a vaccine because medical science is far behind computer science. Number six, people are fallible. If one's mistake, if one makes a mistake, one should do one's best to rectify it and resolve any harm that might have been caused. Well, yeah, it's taking accountability for your own actions. I, I, I'm going to say that when it comes to these, these rules and everything, the, the legalese that goes behind it, the jargon, I mean, it could be easier if it was more descriptive to the layman. 
but at the same time, I can kind of see why they don't want to cater to a bunch of dipshits. But yeah, you got to have some sort of smarts to be able to understand what the fuck they're talking about. Because they definitely true. don't make it easy. You know what I'm saying? Well, like that's some fucking that's some fancified talk. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to have good reading comprehension skills too, as well. So, okay, I'll stand behind that. <laughs> Which really caters to their, you know, don't be fucking stupid. Yes, yes. I will go into, yes, that's something I can definitely agree on. And finally, number seven. Every tenant is a guiding principle designed to inspire nobility in action and thought. The spirit of compassion, wisdom, and justice should always prevail over the written or spoken word. Yeah. Okay. So in a nutshell, that is modern Satanism. That is basically uh, what the world is going after or blaming for all the ills that happen on this planet. It's Satan. Or the people that follow the ideas of Satanism. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, Satanists are real bad people. I'll tell you what, you know what I'm saying? I know, right? Oh. Imagine, imagine them actually taking accountability for their own actions, not causing harm against anybody else. And, I don't know, be happy to be alive. Whereas you got yeah. followers of the and Abrahamic these... faith. <laughs> They're going to say, well, you're Satan. You go against my idea. You're rebelling against the spirit of God. So anything that bad happens, we're just going to blame you. I'm blaming Satan. Blame Satan. Hail Satan. <laughs> and to all of my listeners out there, Yes. Hail Satan. <laughs> no shame. No shame. Anyway. No shame. So since I kind of give everybody a brief rundown, in my own terms, these are basically uh, opinions. They aren't facts. Well, some of it is fact. But at the same time, I'm not going to be representative of the Church of Satan or the Satanic Temple. Um, I don't want anybody to get anything misconstrued, what I'm saying, I'm just taking it from my observation and from how I see things. But if anybody is interested, I would advise them to go ahead and check out their website, thechurchofsatan.com or thesatanictemple.com, and kind of get a better understanding exactly of what they're trying to do and trying to accomplish, you know, with their organizations and their churches. So Yeah, and don't let uh, serial killers and murderers, sons of bitches, get, like, rituals and kill babies and shit. Uh, give them a bad name because those guys just don't want to be accounted for their uh, own actions, you know. Exactly, exactly. The and those are goes. the those are the type of people that are trash because if they do cause harm to somebody else, then they're you know say it in, in the name of the devil or Satan as whatever. They're they're just sick people. I mean, if you know God really, if Satan really does punish some motherfuckers, you know, after you die for whatever the fuck you did. If you did some shit like that in his name, man, he's going to punish you even worse. <laughs> yeah. He's going to bring out the cat of nine tails and it's going to turn into a big bondage party. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if that's your thing. As long as there's no furries. <laughs> oh, God, furries. You know, that would that would be my hell. <laughs> Nothing but furries. Yeah, get yiffed to death. That would be a good, like, uh... Twilight Zone stream or Twilight Zone episode. Holy fuck. Twilight Zone episode. 
Yeah, end Goodness. up going to hell, and you're stuck there with nothing but neckbeards and furies. <laughs> or wake up and your whole entire world is just nothing but like furries. And Cheeto dust. Cheeto dust. Yeah. And water's Mountain Dew. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but hey, since we're going to lead up to actually blaming people, now we're going to start heading into the moral panic of the 80s and the 90s, known as the satanic panic. And made you really manic. Manic panic, <laughs> satanic panic, moral panic, whatever you want to call it. And there's actually a history about this, which is kind of fascinating. Uh, Jerry Falwell, I don't know if anybody knows who he is, but he was one of the major evangelical Christians who started earning a name and a reputation from, I believe, the late 60s, the early 70s and everything. And he created the group of the Moral Majority, which was basically trying to get evangelical Christianity into politics. And when it came down to the politics or trying to implement a lot of this Christian Christian ideology into the political arena, there was a lot of laws, a lot of things that are basically trying to get um, passed, which you can actually see today currently in American politics. And I find it fascinating that the way that they infiltrated the government, it's pretty much kind of almost the same way that Scientology did, you know, when it came to the IRS. But fast forward a little bit, you know, with uh, a lot of these things fresh on people's minds, movies like The Exorcist came out, The Omen, all of that. You have this book that was actually written by a Canadian psychiatrist of Lawrence Pazder. And the name of that book was Michelle Remembers. Have you heard about that? No. No. Okay. So the book was Lawrence, Lawrence Pazner, psychiatrist who wrote Michelle Remembers. And it's kind of ironic because his patient, Michelle Smith, actually ends up becoming his future wife. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah. So what this comes down to is that the psychiatrist actually was using regressive hypnosis or regressive memory, whatever, to basically recall events that may have potentially happened in their life. And the thing that I find interesting is that this book was actually written about this person that was trying to have recovered memories of satanic ritual abuse or sexual abuse that she um, experienced in her life that they believed that were the occultish or satanic rituals. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. And like the whole Benny, Betty and Barney Hill fucking regression. And some, you know, creepy ass shit. Yeah. yeah but I, I think when it comes to the Betty and Barney Hill case, I mean, this is something that we can cover later on down the road. But I, I don't I don't think that they were led into the conversations or, or led into actually trying to recall events that didn't happen. Yeah. So, and the thing that was interesting is that when this book was actually released, they made a shit ton of money off of it. And what it did is that it actually started instilling this fear in the population that people that actually read it, that satanic ritual abuse is real. That basically what it entails is there's human sacrifices. There's instances of child pornography, child brutality, uh, kids getting murdered, 
babies being, you know, um, cooked up and eaten, cannibalism, and prostitution. This is weird. Okay, the moral panic that actually happened. So after people started reading these books, um, it started coming out to where a lot of these educational facilities, daycares, and everything like that um, were being accused of actually participating in satanic ritual abuse. Do you know anything about that? No, but I'm not surprised. Yeah. Yeah. There was quite a few people that were actually, their children were, I guess you could say, questioned because they believed that their daycare may have facilitated all of these horrible atrocities. So what they would do is that they would bring in these kids and they would question them. And if the kids did not give them the answer that they want, they would wait a little bit, reinterrogate them. And it was a pattern until that they felt that they had something that was going to stick. Which is pretty fucked up. One of the biggest cases that actually happened down in um, California, um, it was, I believe, the, the McMartin preschool trial. So what it was, it was basically, it was a daycare and a sexual abuse case that happened in the 80s and was prosecuted by the Los Angeles District Attorney, Ira Reiner. So have you heard about that? You know, I did actually hear something a little bit about that. And there was there was one psychologist that actually, what they believed is that she recanted a lot of the her, uh, I guess you could say, interrogation techniques when it came to asking these kids about, you know, is there satanic ritual abuse that's going on? So, and with this with this whole bullshit that's going on, they got these parents that are accusing these educators, these people that take care of their kids and all that stuff, that their children are being exposed to all of this brutality, all of these things that are going on within a day. Now, you would, you would think that a rational parent at some point during all of this bullshit would ask him, like, well, wait a minute, hold on, I'm at work eight hours a day, I go to pick up my kid, how come my kid is not covered in blood or, I don't know, got shipped off to Mexico for a day and sold into prostitution but happened to make it back in time for me to come and pick him up after work? Does that, does that make sense? Honestly, it doesn't. Like, what the hell, man? Why are people so influenced so easy? You know what it, I mean? Like, exactly, exactly. And you'd, at any point that these, these parents... You know, would believe that their kid might have been abused at some point. They would routinely see the signs, you know, a withdrawal or anything of that nature that basically causes them to kind of shut down or have, you know, like certain other indicators. Because who knows their kids better than the parents, you know? Exactly. And if a kid, exactly. And in the mind of a kid, psychologically, if you look at it, there's something that's actually going to happen to your child. You would know as an interactive adult or a parent, hey, my kid's not interacting. Something must be wrong. They're complaining about this, blah, 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 blah. But then you have all of these parents that are sitting there believing that everything that comes out of their kid's mouth, even no matter how fucking outlandish it sounded, especially when some of the cases to where the kids were stating that they saw their teacher floating in the middle of the, the classroom or hovering, you would think that that's, that's a little... A little fantastic. <laughs> Kids have great imaginations. They they still live in a fantasy world that they would believe that 
if they tell you, they think it's real. But yeah, yeah, and they are closer to the veil too. I mean, the older they get, you know, the less those imaginations are going to prosper. And it, they say that children at a young age can see things that you know we can't see when we get older, being ghosts and shit like that. Even certain things like you know goblins or stuff, pixies, fairies, all that good stuff. <laughs> all the great stuff. I mean, the, yeah. the creativity aspect of it. Exactly. The creativity aspect of it. I mean, so it makes sense that you know children and stuff would see see entities more and tell us, and we'd think it you know to be fantasy or imagination or imaginary friends. Well, exactly. So, so exactly. a lot of cases, really, honestly, a lot of cases that you know kids see shit that they think it's in their imagination. They you know they don't know any different. Well, so a lot of biggest, of Go ahead, sorry. Well, one of the biggest things is, is that I, I found very interesting is that when they were interviewing these children, they were being led, basically, when it comes down to um, not re, not so much as regressive therapy, but suggestions. And it was the way that they worded their questions. They would ask something along the lines, well, did so-and-so hurt you? No. Oh, you can tell me. I'm your friend. You can trust me. You know, that kind of shit. And then they asked the same question. So when you had children that were adamant, they'd be like, no, this didn't happen. No, this didn't happen. No, this didn't happen. They would reword the question and basically forcing a response from the children to make it seem like, okay, well, I do remember. And that's the thing that kind of pisses me off is that you're talking about these trained professionals, especially when it comes to the psychology and psychiatry and all of that crap that got away with this shit. And it wasn't just one person. It was quite a few people that were doing these things that led to a lot of people that ended up losing their freedom because of this. Yeah, it sounds like it would almost be a conspiracy in itself. Like, why why would this these experiments be going on in the first place? Like, well, what exactly. were they trying to prove, you know? It seems like the influential, because it seemed to happen to, you know, children. So see how, you know, influential children can be and a lot of cult activity was going on during the 70s and 80s as well. A massive amount of cult activity. But it shows how powerful that influence of, you know, rituals and their version of Satanism could be. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And if you think about it, though, too, is that the one that had the majority of the influence of satanic ritual abuse is not only was this book but the idea that you have again the moral majority that was stepping in that was basically trying to do this whole idea of that we're going to combat evil we're going to show you that we're wolves in sheep's clothing and we're going to talk about the idea that Christianity or we need uh, a higher moral standard when it comes to being a citizen of society and it's interesting because back in that day, information was viable. It wasn't, I guess you could say, as easy that we can get to it now. But it, it was predatory on how they could feed on the gullibility of the masses when it comes yeah, to look, this. Yeah, look how people are nowadays, man. Well, <laughs> the technology has changed, but there's still fucking dumb people out there. 
I mean, it seems they got dumber with technology. I, I, I think we were just dumb, period. We just have access to more information. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's kind of like uh, when you play video games, you know, back back in the day. If it came down to actually learning about a, a, a trick, uh, a cheat code or something like that, you either had to write the shit down or had to rely on your friends to communicate that or gaming magazines or something to that effect or hell even a uh, long distance number like a 976 number or something like that that charges you about five dollars a minute <laughs> yeah i remember those to give you hints for whatever yeah. level you're on yeah and the hints weren't even fucking useful so then you got your parents coming in they're yelling at you be like hey how come my fucking phone bills about 39 bucks <laughs> what'd you do <laughs> But yeah, and, and and the thing is, when it comes down to the moral panic or the satanic panic, also, I I don't think it's died down, honestly. I mean, you don't hear it as often. But going back to the whole satanic ritual abuse that actually happened, how these teachers lost a lot of time of their life because of false convictions, and there is there's even a couple that spent over twenty years in prison because of this. And the only people that didn't get charged were the ones that were involved that were actually inv- investigating this whole thing, which I, I think is kind of ironic. You'd figure that the people that were interviewing or anybody that was just slapping charges on these indiv- individuals with no evidence would end up either losing their jobs or losing their license to you know do any of this shit. And the people that wrote Michelle Remembers, that book, they, they walked away with millions of dollars even though that was clearly debunked they still they still got their money that and that's is just insane it is it's pretty fucking insane and the thing that the thing that's also interesting is that you have the satanic ritual abuse that happens at a daycare during the day <laughs> or however long a daycare is open for and everything like that and they wanted to blame it on the devil. They wanted to say that everybody that happened to work at a daycare facility or anything like that, they're devil-worshipping pedophiles. They're going to ship your kids out to sex trafficking or they're going to have them participate in animal sacrifices or they're going to go off and they're going to drink the blood of infants, you know, that kind of shit. Fantastical fucking tales. And these people bought it. What's even worse is that there was a media frenzy on it you had uh, shows like 2020, Geraldo Rivera, Sally Jesse Raphael, I think she was a part of that, or Donahue, one of those talk show hosts that were painting these images, you know, that this this is a real thing. It's happening. And there was even a police, uh, a, a police force that had their literal own pamphlets, pamphlets on what to look for when it comes to devil worship or satanic worship or signs of satanic worship (laughs) (laughs) i'm serious (laughs) (laughs) oh lord it it, it's interesting it really is and i find that fascinating that this this got away i mean it happened and it didn't it didn't involve just daycares that's another thing that i find funny um it involved other things one of the biggest things is the most notable is that a lot of these people believed that Dungeons and Dragons 
happen to be a gateway into occult or the occult, which I find very fascinating because using your imagination is evil. I mean, in order to slay like ghosts and demons and stuff in like, you know, the realms and shit, maybe, but other than that, I don't see what kind of, you know, devil worship you can get out of Dungeons and Dragons. Well, because you're past, well, it's because you're practicing mysticism and magic and shooting fireballs out of your fingertips. You know, and, and, and the thing that's very interesting is the creators of Dungeons and Dragons were actually Christian. <laughs> that makes sense. Well, and, and they base they based it off of old war games. So, I mean, but it, it is, they did benefit from it because now that you have this idea that there's a cult, there's satanic devil worship that's going on when you play a role-playing game and everything, especially a tabletop game, their sales went through the roof. They were making money hand over fist because, you know, what better way to market to something is it trying to get your hands on something that's considered a taboo? Oh, that was great publicity. It was. It was. And it it wasn't just Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, there's videos on YouTube that you can actually find where there's people that are sitting there saying that uh, Masters of the Universe toys, uh, Grayskull, that playset is basically demonic because a little microphone changes your voice. You know, so they were they were literally reaching to find any affiliation with devil worship, not only in basically educational systems, um, toys that children interacted with, um, hell, even down to the music, which is which is funny. Yeah, devil worship and music. Tell you about that one. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. So the moral panic—it's—it's it's an embarrassing part of human human history, to be honest, because it just really goes to show how easily influenced our society is. But I don't think, in my personal opinion, anything's changed. Now that we have access to information that's a lot easier, it's at our fingertips. We literally go onto the internet to sit there and make memes. And start fucking <laughs> fights with strangers. That mean worse. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's all we use it for. And then we just go around and we post fucking random shit, you know. Anything that on the internet, if you read it somewhere, it's got to be true. I feel like I've got blasted back to the early 2000s. You know, when you go to them shitty websites and then you'd find that uh, chain mail or email or something like that. Oh, hey, you want to earn a hundred dollars here's what you do you know you're giving out your information freely next thing you know you got a virus and your computer crashes <laughs> so, yeah kids nowadays just don't know <laughs> not even adults adults don't even fucking know <laughs> they think they think going out and getting a vaccine you're going to get injected with 5g you know somehow that jeff bezos and uh, bill gates are going to suddenly tap into your I don't know, your vaccine and basically control you with nanobots. And we're going to go out and start a war with who who fucking knows what aliens, I guess. Nanobots. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, or the vaccines don't work, even though that was the vaccines worked when it came down to basically almost eliminating polio, chicken pox, uh, rubella, pertussis. Uh, that might be the same thing. I don't know. I'm not a fucking medical expert. <laughs> well, maybe Measles. Mumps, all of this shit. Vaccines helped almost eliminate 
all of these viruses and these diseases that we currently have. And now they're sketchy about getting something that could potentially be eliminated, but they just would rather waste oxygen going around and be like, well, if I wear a mask, you're um, violating my rights. Hey, I'm a sheeple. I'm a sheeple. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I look at it this way. I don't go down public with no fucking pants on. Nobody wants to see my junk. I'm not going to go ahead and expose it. So, <laughs> I mean, why should I have to expose to some mouth breathers freaking spit when they cough? Right. And I'll tell you what, everybody wearing masks, man, you sure ain't got to smell their stank ass breath no more. That's true. Maybe that's why they don't want to wear them. They realize how bad their <laughs> breath stinks. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's because they're high. maybe because they're full of shit so yep it usually comes out one end pretty much pretty much it <laughs> get two full start coming out both ends you know <laughs> either way either way but moving forward i mean you, you know okay so we talked about uh the satanic panic uh i didn't go into too much detail about it because it's there's too much to actually go over, but I kind of gave you a brief synopsis of it. And the '80s satanic panic didn't stop with daycares. It didn't stop with toys. Uh, it actually bled itself into the music industry. Now, one of the biggest stories that actually happened was the PMRC. I don't know if anybody's ever heard about that, but that was led by Tipper Gore, Al Gore's wife. And it was a parents' music resource center. And they actually had tries to where that they were trying to get some music um, basically labeled. That was the option. But to me, I felt like it was a, just a way to start censoring music. And they put together a list of things that were explicit or suggestive. And they called it the Dirty 15. Now, one oh, of the biggest. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Dirty mm-hmm. 15. Yeah, we're definitely going to start going into the music aspect of it, but I just kind of want to give a brief history about the PMRC. So the Dirty 15 had a list of all of these things that were considered explicit, especially when it came to listening to music, and one of them happened to be the occult. Now, the biggest thing that I find funny about all of this is that they would say that anybody listens to certain heavy metal bands or metal bands, that they would be subjected to actually worshiping satan himself the devil the the diablos in musica you know because they happen to be playing uh, music that was hard that was fast and uh, violent in some respects but at the same time it, it was more or less like a window into the way that society is and the biggest thing that i do actually have to say about the musicians is that when their music was labeled as suggestive or being something that pertains to Satan. Musicians, being the fantastic creative people that they are, started implementing satanic imagery, (laughs) not only on their albums, but in their shows and their concerts, just to kind of say it's a big fuck you, that you guys are being paranoid about something that doesn't exist. Exactly. Trolling before the internet even existed. Exactly. And I found it I found it beautiful. And during the uh, PMRC hearings, um, I, I got to say that the best people that actually showed up for that and were basically discussing it was Dee Snyder, John Denver, and Frank Zappa. 
Now you're talking about three musicians and artists from three different spectrums of the music world and the music industry and their take on the whole thing of what Tipper Gore and the PMRC was actually trying to do is is phenomenal. If you ever watch the trials, just hearing their exchanges between these so-called morally right individuals is is it is awesome. It's awesome to look into if you especially if you're into music. And one of the biggest things that I find also awesome, and I just looked this up the other day, is that the song Mother by Glenn Danzig, there's nothing nefarious about it. It was just more or less kind of like a, uh, a fuck you song to Tipper Gore. So it's definitely something to look into. But now yeah. that we brought up the devil in music, Diabolus in Musica, Let's go ahead and give you the floor, Sam. What do you got? So, the devil in music, the very earliest account, is Robert Johnson. This man was born 1911 on May 8th, and he lived till August 16th, 1938. He was an American blues guitarist and songwriter. He only had two recording sessions this guy wasn't very he wasn't around very long one in san antonio in 1936 and one in dallas in 1937 he produced 29 distinct songs with 13 surviving alternate takes and that was created in the um country music hall of fame with producer don law he still uh, survived all these years or 10 inches and their 78 rpm singles and they said the story goes that he went down to the local crossroads because beforehand he was a harmonica and guitar player and that he couldn't play very well and he wanted to wanted to become famous he was playing on the streets and you know busking and shit like that and not making very much and being you know a dark man in 1936 you know people didn't really look at him very much so he went down to the crossroads and said he sold his, uh, sold his soda to the devil two weeks. And then you'd go down there and you'd meet him. And that the devil taught him how to play the blues, which led to rock and roll, as we know it now. And well, that well, go ahead. he survived until he was age 27, which puts him into the 27 club all the famous musicians that have lived till they were 27 and died pretty horrific deaths most of them and it said that he's he went into a uh, bar and he was flirting with some bar owner's wife and he was found dead the next day they say he was probably poisoned but it was still a mysterious death from the beginning but some people thought that was just the devil coming back to get his due you know robert johnson came back after that crossroad and just he had the one unique set of style of blues that you go out and play and people just like they they just swung to it they were like oh my god never heard anything like this and it's amazing that you can still hear you know the song the crossroads which kind of tells the story a little bit but it's probably most likely a hoax however he was a real man he did live he has some pretty incredible songs that you can still look up to this day. Probably not all of them, but I know a couple. And uh, 
yeah, he was the start of the whole devil selling your soul to the devil for musical fame or talent. There's another man of Tommy Johnson, no relation, who actually had the story of this first, but there's not much record of him. So most people just know about Robert Johnson. But yeah, he gets put in the 27 Club, you know, Kurt Cobain, um, Brian Jones from Stones, fucking Alan Wilson, just a whole bunch, you know, Jimi Hendrix. They all lived to only 27. And Janis Joplin, wasn't she 27? Yeah, Janis Joplin. You got Jim Morrison, Ron McKernan of the Grateful Dead. He was one of the founding members. Uh, River Phoenix. Yeah. Kurt Cobain. Kurt Cobain, obviously. And uh, of recent fame, uh, Amy Winehouse. She only oh, made yeah. it to age 27 yeah. as well. I mean, it had, nothing, to... it had nothing to do with the fact that she did heroin. No, no, nothing. Not at all. Right? No. Or, or, but it just or seems to any... be the... Uh... Go ahead, sorry. <laughs> or any of these other musicians that happen to have something, you know, that was addicted to a narcotic or an alcohol or anything like that. They all seem to be, um, and maybe it was just like, you know, how they coped with making a deal with the fucking devil. <laughs> but we all make deals with the devil. Oh, yeah, I mean, every, day. every day. I mean, if you think about it. I mean, we go to work, we're slave to money, wages, trying to keep a roof over our head, you know, still struggling. I mean, that's a deal with the devil. Yeah, you know, if I ever go back in time, I'm going to find out who, like, invented money. And I'm just going to wipe that whole civilization out so it just never has to happen. You know what I mean? Well, you can start with the Romans. <laughs> <laughs> have to start real early for the Romans. Yeah, exactly. You're going to have to go back quite a few centuries. <laughs> the thing that I found, the thing that I find found very interesting about the history of the, the devil in music, it was all based off of uh, specific tritones that you would actually play. Yeah, Black Sabbath started using them, and it was the forbidden notes that they were like, you know, fuck everybody, we're going to use these forbidden notes and make some haunting-ass sounds. Black Sabbath and, uh, has a, a theory that they sold their souls to the devil as well. However, Bill Ward, the drummer, did not. And that's why everybody looks kind of the same they did in the 1960s, but Bill Ward looks completely different, and he's not in the contracts or anything anymore. So it kind of makes you wonder a little bit because, man, they really did. They popped off to be one of the best metal bands, you know, of hard rock or whatever in all of history. And they're still going to this day. Yeah. Which just makes you wonder. It's like, how the hell did you know a bunch of these guys who were good in the beginning, but, you know, didn't really have a big following right away. And then all of a sudden the story gets out that, like, they sold their souls to somebody. And who knows what the devil may be that they sold their souls to. I think if but, there's anybody that sold her soul, would be fucking Keith Richards. Well, that too. Absolutely. Like, look how old he is. Man, he survived all this fucking shit. He has to get a blood dialysis and shit like every fucking year. It's crazy. But yeah, Nazis died like four or five. Now I think it's like four times or something like that. Came back. Still alive. You know? But he's the prince of fucking darkness. I mean, oh, I think he's the <laughs> devil himself. But I mean, who doesn't love Ozzy Osbourne? I mean... That guy, that guy is a genius, to be honest. Hey, you know what? He was probably super smart, and you know, told the devil, he's like, "All right, man, we're gonna fucking sign this shit, but you gotta let us survive for like you know, fifty more years or sixty more years or something like that, and that we can't die no matter what." And that's why you know, Ozzy can't fucking speak or fucking do anything and shit, and that's the fucking 
you know, carrying him everywhere, basic fucking way. Because he's died too many fucking times and, you know, his brain's taking too much shit, but he can't fucking die yet because the contract's not up. Well, I mean, it'd be a sad day if he actually did pass away. I love Ozzy Osbourne. Oh, yeah. It'll happen eventually. Well, yeah. I mean, age. The guy's been around <laughs> for fucking ever. So, <laughs> I mean, but, you know, I do I do love the fact that um, the satanic imagery that was actually implement, implemented into a lot of music. I know that Ozzy Osbourne, Black Sabbath, they were basically one of the first hard hard bands of the 60s late 60s you know that which set the tone for a lot of other bands to come out and when it came down to the imagery and the shock value you know if you look at Kiss you look at Alice Cooper you look at all, all these other bands right before that the, the 80s came around with the big metal explosion you know one of the first bands that did use satanic imagery especially for the type of music that they were playing was Slayer no, I don't know if are you a big fan of Slayer. Oh yeah, I love Slayer. One of the first songs I learned on drums by them was uh, "Angel of Death." Man, and I'll tell you what: as a teenager, and you're getting your first double kick pedals and stuff, man, it's a uh, it's a workout. You know what I'm saying? Oh, Dave yeah. Lombardo, shout out to him, motherfucker. Well, the, one of the first songs that I ever learned from Slayer was "Season of the Abyss." Yeah, that's one of their classics. Yeah, and and this is this is when I first started getting into playing guitar. So, I mean, I'm not saying that I'm phenomenal or I'm great at it. I haven't sold my soul to the devil yet, but until <laughs> <laughs> yet, when it when it comes to learning music and playing it on the guitar, then yeah, I I do actually try to summon a demon from beneath by playing some pretty hard chords and you know whatever. So I'm still trying to learn sweeps. So once I crack that code, then maybe I could start playing some Rings of Saturn. <laughs> Not yet, oh, though. Oh, yeah. Not yet. Yeah, though. Rings of Saturn. Yeah, that's literally some face-melting shit. I love Rings of Saturn. <laughs> yeah, my buddy Joel Omens, he's the live in Washington. He's uh, he was an amazing guitar player in the beginning, and now, you know, checking out a couple of videos of him on YouTube just recently, and Man, he didn't get any worse, I'll tell you what. <laughs> He's one incredible face-melting musician. It is amazing. For that type of music, you know, that insane metal. Like, it is so fucking heavy. Well, you're going to have to ask him if he sold his soul to the devil. I almost wonder if he did, because, like... You know, we were playing some songs and shit, and then all of a sudden he's just fucking ripping it. He's super fucking badass, and he fucking, boom, he's in Rings of Saturn, and he's out there in his fucking tour. It's just weird. Maybe he did so, so, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, if there was an actual physical devil, or one that existed. I mean, I'm not religious. Um, I don't know about you, but I think that, you know, people just learn learn ways to shortcut things to make it easier easier for them to interpret so um one of the biggest things is that i do actually have to give a lot of musicians a lot of cre uh, credit for their creativity of just pretty much by telling people to say you know what fuck off this is my art you're coming in here and you're trying to ruin something that i makes me very happy to be able to create to express myself and to be able you know be happy in my in my safe space and a prime example 
of that, especially to this day when you have a lot of the religious right or these people that feel that they're the the majority to dictate creativity is um, Nurgle from Behemoth. Now, with him, he actually was slapped with uh, blasphemy because in one of his shows, he ended up uh, tearing up a Bible during one of his performances and literally people in Poland wanted to convict him of blasphemy. That's fucking insane. Yeah, they take their religious uh, thoughts and, you know, morality and stuff over there pretty serious. No, I mean, another, the biggest thing is, is that if you look at it though, I mean, if there's going to be anything that's going to be more satanic, I would have to say that it's the the religious majority that are trying to sit there and kind of swat out or get rid of the vocal few, the people that are tired of being conformed to these concepts and these religious ideologies. So they try to swat them, get them out of the way because you can't have anybody that is trying to disrupt their fantastic land of puppy dog kisses and unicorns. What do you think? Puppy dog kisses and unicorns. (laughs) Holy shit, man. And, you know, um, talking about the devil music, I really think not really having a physical body, you know, what they're selling it to. I really think that what they're selling is, is literally just themselves. You know, when you sign that contract over to the record company or the producer or whatever company you're trying to go through movies music anything like that i think at that point you're not a you know human being anymore you're just a a puppet you're you're there for what they want you to be there for and that's it i think that's what they kind of mean about selling their soul a little bit you know you're doing what what the producers and what the fucking engineers and stuff want you to do you're not really putting out like what your original musical ideas were in the beginning so you're changing your whole entire look. Uh, take Taylor Swift, for instance. She fucking, she was coming out there, you know, with curly hair and she's playing her country songs. I'm talking about how she can't keep no man, shit like that, you know? And then all of a sudden, you know, she signs with these big record companies and shit like that. And she completely changes their image. You know, she completely changes her song structures, her song styles and becomes this big pop star. The, uh, the Korean music industry they do the same thing as well. They completely change a person's identity to make what they want, you know, perceived out there in the songs, you know, what they want told within the songs as well. And this is true. So maybe the devil is actually corporations. Yeah, just whatever, you know, a corporation or a certain person inside of a corporation, you know, just like the elite with, you know, Hollywood. Like, who does Hollywood, you know, kind of answer to? You know what I mean? That kind of thing. No, I agree. I agree. So maybe the devil isn't mankind itself. It's the manifestation of entities that tell us to consume and overindulge and be be a, a cog in the wheel of society. No, maybe rebellion. you know, maybe all them rock stars you know dying with alcohol and pills and shit. Maybe you know it's just something inside the brain. It's like, hey, you need to keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Something, you know, it's probably because they don't have a soul anymore. <laughs> this is true. Or or it could be or it could be the monkey on the back of where people have addiction. 
it is a disease and that's a real thing so absolutely and fame is kind of an addiction and a disease too you know you get too famous and you get knocked off that ladder it's gonna you know send you down to a path of self-destruction you know doing heroin and stuff i've never done it myself but i noticed that a lot of musicians after they get really big and they go out there and they do these massive shows and they sell millions of hits and millions of records and all that that they'll they'll come back and you know, they'll do drugs they'll start smoking weed or whatever you know pills and then alcohol and soon start hitting the heavier stuff you know methamphetamine you know fucking heroin and shit like that and a lot of rock stars have admitted to doing that and have admitted to you know overdosing on heroin multiple times and stuff like that but they're trying to get that you know that that feeling back that they had before all this you know selling their soul to the music industry type of bullshit it's just crazy you know you can't get that high that you had on the stage ever unless you're on stage well and everybody has their own coping uh coping mechanisms i mean right exactly we work standard nine to five jobs and i'm i'm sure of us have picked up some unhealthy habits (laughs) um Another person that I find very interesting, especially that you bring it up, uh, Nikki Six, the basis for uh, Motley Crue. Now that guy, I've read his book, uh, The Heroin Diaries, and that is something that is holy shit. I don't, I don't know how many times that that guy has overdosed and he's come clean. He's made a good recovery. He's living a good life right now. I mean, yeah, if there's the occasional relapse that has actually happened, but that guy. Man, he's got some fucking stories. It's very interesting. Yeah, you know, Motley Crue, they're probably one of the bands of all time that could party harder than any other fucking band out there, man. I'm telling you. They will fucking out-party anybody. And with that being said, they probably have all, you know, had their uh, run-ins with death, so to speak. Um, Nikki Sixx especially wrote fucking um, Kickstart My Heart. Yeah, yeah. That was after, after he fucking, overdosed. Yeah, after he overdosed and shit, woke up, fucking had the song just written in his head. So it's kind of crazy, you know, uh, like a fucking um, Stephen King wrote Dreamcatcher after he got hit by a car. He actually wrote a couple books. He had a couple ideas from but um, signs of trauma, times of like trauma and stuff. You know, sometimes it'll give you inspiration for shit. Well, I don't know. I don't know what my problem is. I've had two cups of uh, Death Wish coffee. So, another plug. Another plug for Death Wish. So, maybe that's my, <laughs> my trauma to my brain. <laughs> trauma to your brain, man. Um, Dancing in the Moonlight, that song by the... Uh... Oh, fuck. Something Harvest. Uh, I can't remember. But, anyway, the song Dancing in the Moonlight... Uh, it was about the singer and his girlfriend getting attacked on a on a on an island. Um, they were going to spend the night there from after boat, and, and they got hit by a a local gang or whatever. And she got you know attacked and all that. And he got he got beat down, almost dead. He was afraid they were going to like kill her, but he made enough noise to where some uh, some people came in and like scared him off or something like that. And, he went in and after the hospital, you know, going in there and healing up for a while, he won. He wrote that song as kind of like a a remembrance to it, but as like a, a song of like peace. So a song, you know, there's no more pain and 
suffering and stuff, you know what I mean? So it was his way of like repairing that incident trauma, but you get amazing songs and artwork and movies and everything from, from trauma itself, from anything that happened. No, and I agree. I agree. And that's one of the biggest things about me is that, I mean, I'm not a phenomenal musician, but it's something that I thoroughly enjoy, especially listening to it because there's so many stories and so many images that you can actually paint with the music itself. I am an actual artist. I do draw. I do actually have my own um, abilities when it comes to being creative, especially when it comes to making uh, logos or you know graphic design or anything of that nature. And I agree with a lot of these musicians. I agree with a lot of these people, especially if they're Satanists or however that they decide that they want to walk to their own drum is that you do have a vast majority of these people that will do everything in their power. I don't know if it's because if it's a personal psychological problem or if it has something to do with jealousy or maybe they're just ignorant for that for that matter, that do everything in their power to try to censor, to, sh- to silence and to muffle people that don't think like the norm or like everybody else. They, they treat creativity, they treat artistry like it's a no-no, it's a taboo, it's a sin, you can't do that. And they would literally correlate it and relate it to it being the devil. No matter what. Right. And it makes me wonder, too, because, like, with these, tw- you know, with the 27 Club, all those people dying at age 27, and usually it's overdoses or a couple people are murdered, and it it makes you wonder if, like, if they did, you know, do a, a deal that why, why, why would the devil kill them in ways? It's, it's kind of weird. So the, they kills, they die in ways of their own like vices. You know what I mean? So it's not like the devil goes in and like kills him himself. It's like the, the things that you're told not to overdo in excess and stuff. That's what does it does you in in the first place. And I almost wonder if like, if it's just like a mindset or something that you have to do all these drugs and all these drugs and stuff to just feel better because you're, you're doing something that's not morally right, you know, in the beginning. Cause a lot of, a lot of stories and stuff about getting famous, you know, people have done some really, really bad shit to be famous, you know, like orgies and stuff of certain famous people, or you have to sleep with someone in the business to get certain things, you know, and, uh, producers and stuff raping people when they're going in to do fucking um, like uh, castings and stuff, you know. Yeah, and, and so. that's that's definitely a rabbit hole. I don't want to go down right now <laughs> 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 because they, yeah, there has been rumors and speculations, especially in the music in the uh, um, movie industry, that they have particular favors or little things that you have to do to actually make it. Uh, in the music industry in Hollywood, so, but I'm not I'm not going to go into too much detail about that because I honestly don't really know too much about it. Right. Well, it seems to be really prominent in the uh, rap and rock industry. It's the only reason I bring it up because, like the the pop and stuff like that, you know, you get girls that are like you know 15 to 21, and then they pretty much get moved on to the side. You know, they want to keep that age bracket that you know nobody above and nobody below and 
with rock kind of like, and like kind of like Satanism. Yeah, kind of like <laughs> as above, so below. I'm kidding. Yep. <laughs> no, I mean, and that's interesting that you do bring that up because that could be another topic of discussion. Is how I don't know. It's kind of hard to look into, but there's something that correlates with the MK Ultra and Project Monarch. So yeah. finding, yeah. So going into that aspect of it in the music industry and how advertising or the way that they market um, pop stars or musicians is pretty intriguing. Another little thing, a little interesting music fact for you. The uh, devil horns that Dio does, you know, he always does it to the crowd and everything. Mm-hmm. The horn, the two fingers pointing. That's not actually worship Satan. That's begone evil spirits. That's a very old um, motion of, you know, to push evil spirits away. And I always found that very interesting that people always get wrong. Yeah, and it's funny how it caught on. That everybody thinks that, oh, if you do that, you're worshipping the devil. I think right. it was, I think at some point, too, it was also used in uh, sign language. Yeah, I believe so. so but I'm not, I'm not good with American sign language or any sign language at all. <laughs> I know, I know, like, one and that's flipping people <laughs> off but <laughs> you want to be able to communicate in the quiet place that's for sure no exactly, <laughs> exactly. but yeah there's there's so much that we can go over especially when it comes down to evil in music the devil in music we can also go over for hours when it comes to the satanic panic and basically satanism within itself but however I will say that we actually did cover quite a bit of subject matter. There is a lot that we can definitely go into, but at the same time, I don't want to bore anybody, especially ruin their day and make it dark. Um, But I do want to say, though, I appreciate to everybody that has tuned in that actually listened to this podcast and to go ahead and pretty much submit any stories that you may have, especially to my email at podcastrev1 at gmail.com. And definitely go ahead and give me a follow on Rev at Revcast Official on the Twitter website. So you can go ahead and actually find all of my other information there, uh, especially in my YouTube channel and my anchor page. And I think we're just going to go ahead and end this. Um, you got anything else you want to add there, Sam? No, thank you, man. And, uh, you know, keep the podcast rocking, bro. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And thank you very much for actually being a guest today. And I do look forward to actually doing some more content with you. So with that, I hope everybody has a good day. And thank you for listening. And enjoy the rest of your week. <laughs>